Jesus, we confess together that your name is a light in the darkness of the world around us. And so may it be said of us uh, that we are people who in every circumstance are looking for the light in the darkness, who are beholding the rising sun, and that our lives would give evidence of that, that that's where our eyes and our hearts are set, and that we would follow you into that kind of life. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Several years ago, I uh, was meeting Scott some, somewhere to... We were just exchanging something. I don't remember what it was, but uh, we had talked, and he said, I'll be getting my hair cut at such and such a time if you want to come by this place, which was close to my office where he got his hair cut. And I showed up, pulled up, and he was waiting by his car, and uh, he had this sort of um, half-pensive, half-annoyed look on his face, and I said, what's going on? And he pointed to a guy who was walking across the parking lot from the convenience store right next to, to the place where he gets his hair cut. Uh, and he said, I just bought that guy a 40. <clears throat> and I said, what? And the guy had a big paper bag with a 40-ounce bottle um, of Schlitz or who knows what inside. Um, and he said, yeah, that 40-ounce beer that guy's drinking, I just bought that for him. I was like, well, that was, not, <laughs> that was nice of you at 1.30 in the afternoon to to uh, buy him a, a beer, and he said, actually, uh, I thought I was helping him buy a bus ticket, um, but when I came out from getting my hair cut, he was walking out with a, with a 40 ounce. Um, and if you've uh, ever given money to someone who asks for money, you've probably had a similar experience. I had a similar one a few months ago that reminded me of that moment with Scott where somebody asked me for money for food, and didn't even wait for me to leave the parking lot of the convenience store before he went into the big, it was one of these convenience stores that has like a cave, like a cooler cave for all the beer, you know, in the back corner before he went in there. Um, and, and I had that feeling of, was that what I was supposed to, was I supposed to hand that guy money? Um, and dealing at some level with, you know, my feelings toward that person in that moment and also just this overall dilemma that we all face, I think, when we try to take seriously the words of Jesus like these in Matthew 5, where he says, give to anyone who asks of you, and then we watch as that money is squandered, um, or in our opinion, squandered. And we try to figure out, does this feel like the right thing? And the difference, one of the things I, 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 I tell you both of those stories um, because I remember, uh, though, when it happened to me, I struggled with it, and I'll, I'll be happy to tell you how I processed those feelings some other time, but uh, I remember admiring Scott for buying that guy a 40-ounce beer, if that makes any sense. Even though it went down the way that it did, I just, when you see someone else, when you see it in someone else, you tend to have a little bit different perspective uh, than when you feel like you got ripped off or you feel like you got had. You, I think, are able to witness uh, the generosity and the spirit of Jesus and other people sometimes more than you can yourself. And that's one of the reasons I want to spend a few minutes uh, with us talking to each other. There are lots of reasons for that. Um, 
But before we get to that, let me just kind of remind you what we talked about last week and, and reset the table for uh, having a little bit of a discussion. Um, in this passage in Matthew 5, Jesus says to them, you've heard it said, or you've lived under this rule of being that if someone takes from you, you're allowed to take from them in equal measure, and that settles it. And the point, as we talked about last week, of that under the Old Testament law was primarily to manage the chaos of retribution, to keep it from escalating, to keep it all equal. Um, but Jesus says, I say to you, and then he gives them a different sort of law, and it all kind of falls under this heading of don't resist an evildoer. If anyone hits you, turn the other cheek to them. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give them your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, if an occupying soldier says, carry all my stuff for one mile, carry it too. And anyone who begs from you or wants to borrow from you, give to them, don't refuse to them, he says. Uh, and I put those all in sort of summary statements that we had up last week. And we talked about the fact that then and now, I think that this ethic, these statements, however you ultimately sort of work them out into your life, if they're taken seriously, offer us and sort of insist from Jesus' perspective that we take on an alternative way of understanding how we function, an alternative to the culture's way of understanding how we function in these particular moments, and an alternative, a sort of reimagining of some of our default religious understanding, some of the things that we have either put religious labels on or just allowed to slide into our spiritual understandings of how we function in the world. This tends to challenge some of those in both directions, and I think it all sort of, for us, for us to handle any of this in a serious way, I think it, we, we have to remember that Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? This passage, we, we often sort of boil it down to the, the, that last verse and say, this is why you shouldn't cling to material possessions, and that's certainly there in this. But there's a bigger statement here that Jesus is making, and he's saying, life with me, life in the kingdom means you lose what the world says is valuable about your life. You freely surrender it, believing that in that death, there will be a resurrection of greater value. That's not theory, Jesus is saying. This is really what it means to be a Jesus follower. This is really life in Jesus. Um, and so he's saying to the people then who are used to living under a certain law, here are specific examples, these that are given here, a few more that are going to come next week, several that we've looked at in previous weeks. These are examples of what it means to really be transformed by God, and I, I mean these things. These are not hypotheticals or theories. Um, but they're also not rules. They're me sort of showing you what the bigger picture is and me inviting you into this call to come and lose your life and to gain my life in its place, believing that that exchange is worth it. And I think that, as I said last week, is key for us understanding uh, these kinds of instructions and and in some, in some cases, dealing with some of our objections to them. Some of our objections, we have to run through 
okay, that objection makes sense. And so maybe Jesus didn't mean exactly this because I can't reconcile it with this sort of question or objection that I have. But I have to back up and ask, is my objection in sync with this call to come and lose my life? This insistence that life with him is going to require me to surrender some things that I'm prone to cling to. So that's the essence of what we did last week. Uh, One of the dangers of dealing with a passage like this is not really taking the time to work it into our real lives and figure out what to do with it, uh, to deal with our actual questions, which if you think about any of this for any period of time, no matter what perspective you're coming into this from, you're going to have some real questions. And what happens, I think, when we go by it too quickly is that we give up on it. (laughs) Um, One of the ways that happens, we discussed this particular danger in in our comm group this week, uh, is, is we know and there's a decent chance as you start talking, you will hear evidence of people interpret this passage in different ways and passages like this in different ways. So there are extremes uh, to multiple directions of interpretation of a passage like this. Um, And that's all true, and it's all stuff that we should take into account. But what we often do with that, knowing that well, even, even well-meaning Christians disagree on this. Um, and so for every, our, every argument that Jesus means this, there's a counter-argument that he means something else. And we start to use that as a justification to kind of settle with this sense that we can't really know what it means. Um, so it must just mean something in the middle of the extremes. So we don't ever really experience much lasting challenge or transformation from these words. That's a real danger. That's a real danger for me, someone who spends a lot of time studying the scriptures for doing this job and reading what people think about different passages. It's, it's a constant temptation with difficult passages to go, okay, I've read that view, I've read that view, eh, it's hard to be sure. So what's next? What am I preaching next week? <laughs> Um, and never really allow it to challenge us because, sure, it's true that different humans are going to come to different interpretations, but you're not responsible for what someone who wrote a book about this passage thinks. You're responsible for hearing the words of Jesus, working them into your soul, and figuring out what he's saying to you and what he's saying to us as a church in a passage like this. So, Last week, I put these questions on the screen for us to think about and talk about and discuss this week. Uh, And what I'd like to do now is hear a bit about how some of those discussions went in your personal life at home, in your comm group. Um, And more broadly, it doesn't have to be limited to these questions or what conversations you had with other people this week. Uh, More broadly, hear your questions or your thoughts. And when I say questions, this is not ask ask the expert as though I'm the expert on this passage. And so you're welcome to ask me a question, but I may just let it hang out there and see if someone else uh, has an answer or a thought on that question. And I'll offer thoughts uh, when I have them, but that's not really the point. This is not a a sort of pepper me with questions about uh, the difficult parts of this. This is, I think, what we've tried to do just to to let you know a little bit behind the discussion that led to us using these questions every week, what we've tried to do is continue to, to build some continuity in our life together as a body. And so 
connecting what we do here on Sundays with what you do the other six days of the week and specifically what you do in your comm group. There's no rule that your comm group has to discuss these every week. We don't discuss them every week in my comm group. And some weeks I go to comm group hoping that we don't because I spent the whole week thinking about this or I don't want to hear what people have to say about what I said last Sunday. Uh, so there's no rule about that. But the goal is to continue to sort of build some consistency and continuity in what we're doing together, okay? So that's the purpose of this. In a text like this, um, I think it's helpful for us to bring some of those conversations that have happened at different places on the map this week and in, back into this space and bring them together and hear what other people in the room are wrestling with or thinking about this passage. So uh, I want to do that. And... It's okay that people are going to have different kinds of questions. It's okay that people are going to have different sort of conclusions about this stuff. What's not okay is for us to just sort of passively let this, these kinds of words wash by us and not challenge us into really dying to ourselves. Because whatever conclusion you come to the specifics of this passage, it says something. It is connected to this call to come and die as you follow Jesus. No question. It's part of that. And so it's important for us, whatever questions or conclusions we have, to uh, allow that to happen in our lives individually and together. And I have a few additional thoughts on these verses if we have time for them at the end, uh, but I don't have a whole sermon planned. So if you don't talk, you don't ask questions. I shouldn't say that because you may just want to get out early. Uh, But... I don't, I'm not worried about that. I'm confident, uh, and I, some of you I know really care about some of these words, and so I'll start calling on people if I have to. Uh, but let's hear what questions you have and what thoughts you have about this passage. Um, and it would be fantastic. There's a microphone right here on this chair on the front row. It would be fantastic if you would use that microphone, but I'm not going to make that a rule because some of you just will not talk if you have to do that. Um, But if you're not afraid of it, uh, I promise it's not going to electrocute you or anything. If you're not afraid of it, uh, it would be great for you to talk into that so everybody can hear you, but not required. So you can give us, hey, here's what we talked about or here's what I've thought about as it relates to these specific questions or any other thoughts or questions you have on this passage. can pass it around if we need to. Really make you walk up in front of everybody to get it. <clears throat> um, Sorry. So my biggest struggle, I don't, I don't know that I have a question, but my biggest struggle with this passage has always been um, this tension of feeling like if I really take Jesus' words literally and for what he meant them, um, I feel like I am at odds with this standard of financial comfort and standard of um, just way of living. Not even that I need to be rich or I need to be um, super wealthy, but I feel like there's this 
in my head, I don't know this, this is for everybody, but there's this standard of we need to make enough money to have a comfortable life and take care of our kids and afford them the things that they deserve to have and um, be saving money and be able to, um, yeah, all those things that sort of come with financial stability there's, it feels like there's just this standard in my head. And so when I put that up against what Jesus is saying here, I usually feel this tension of, if I really live this way, I'm going to miss, I have a, I'm kind of scared I'm going to miss out on that stability. And all of a sudden I'm going to look up and everyone else is, you know, doing just fine and we're, missing out, you know, and I know saying those words out loud, it's easy to say, oh, that's nonsense. But um, I also just think <clears throat> I don't want to look like a sucker, like I did a poor job of meeting that standard. Um, yeah. I would be surprised if most of us don't have that struggle, right? Popcorn? I get to call on somebody? Um, so something that I feel I've always had uh, a struggle with is this kind of, I don't know, this obligation towards martyrdom in a sense, where it's like, oh, well, I'm always supposed to take the blame. Um, I've always felt like the Christian thing to do is just kind of be a doormat for people. But then I've received a lot of exhortation over the years of like, well, no, that's not accurate. You don't have to be a doormat. But when I take the words of Jesus seriously here, if I think about, you know, I, I remember, and this has been several years now, but you'd preached on... Um, either this passage directly or something related to it about how you'd grown up, you know, in a kind of rural Texas family that it was like, no, if somebody hits you, you hit them you back, you know, you stand up for yourself and that you'd had to kind of deconstruct that in adulthood as you thought about what retaliation and vengeance, how that didn't fit into the gospel. But, um, you know, the other side of it is I feel like, well, if someone requires anything of us, demands anything of us, we're just supposed to kind of be yes men about that. Um, I don't think that that's completely true, but if I'm trying to just strip these sentences down to face value, it feels kind of like that. And then I'll tag a second part of that on and say that, um, you know, you and I have had conversations about this a lot for 10, well, six years probably, but for the last 10 to 15, I've struggled a lot with just about any form of violence whatsoever, particularly when it's like resisting evil people. Jesus says, don't resist the evil man. But I'm like, okay, you know, the, the old hypothetical of if you see someone doing violence against someone else, are we to just stand there and kind of bandage their wounds afterwards or intervene in some way that might cause some bodily harm to, uh, you know, the person who's the victim when we come upon the situation. So two different questions there. Doormat and any form of violence. 
Okay. Who else? You can respond to these questions. Some of you have thoughts on these things. I don't have an answer, so if anybody else wants to jump in before. <laughs> um, so I had the same, one of the same questions that, that Adam, you had mentioned, the, the idea that being a Christian, you're, everything that you do is really passive, you know, the sense of, of, of turning the other cheek or, uh, you know, giving something beyond what somebody had asked. And, and that was, that's been a perception, I think, that th that's been taught to me and probably other Christians uh, since, since we were uh, children. And, uh, and, and I had heard this, the way that, that you had preached upon, uh, on this last Sunday, I'd heard this way of explaining Jesus's words before about the, the way that, that he sort of radicalized the understanding of, of, of what striking somebody with the back of your hand meant and turning that other cheek. And um, it seems to me like a lot of uh, the way that Jesus is exhorting Christians to respond or his followers to respond to this is, um, you know, not so much passive anymore, but really a way to, it, it's very active, but it's also um, a way to, to usurp or undermine the sort of the current conventional understandings of what we're supposed to be doing if somebody strikes you or does you wrong. Um, one of the things that I'd shared with my comm group um, over the past uh, semester was learning um, about forgiveness and actually putting that into practice um, and, and understanding that, that through just sort of personally having to walk through the forgiveness process in, in my life personally, uh, that it is an active, it's a real sort of active process, right? You have to intentionally decide to, to sort of um, will yourself to do that. And, and that's, you know, of course, within um, uh, the spirit that guides you to do that and, and gives you the, the ability to do that. But um, I think that when we think of turning the other cheek or handing over a cloak or even forgiveness or something like that, we generally tend to think of that as being the, well, there's nothing we can do. And just, you know, in a very passive sense, there's no real actual sort of um, agency on our part. But I think one of the things that I've been thinking about is how that does take a lot of effort and, and work to, to do that. And I think that, that you know, maybe that's, that's, that's one of the, the things to sort of chew on for me is, is, is all these sort of things that Jesus has said that really undermines our conventional understandings of how to, you know, respond to somebody who wrongs you is, is not to just sort of, like Adam said, you know, be a doormat or just take it, but to really just sort of um, respond in a way that is Christ-like, but also in a way that you know, takes effort and really just sort of um, undermines how people think people, you know, we ought to react in, in our interactions with one another. That's good. So one of the um, examples of what James is talking about that I, that I want to share a little bit about tonight, and I'll give some of you some space to think about we're not done with you talking, but give you a break from the silence of waiting for someone else to grab the mic. Um, 
So I think we have I think we have two responsibilities in what we do in these situations. Um, one is to embody this ethic of dying to yourself that we've already talked about, that Jesus has talked about. But the other is proclaiming the kingdom. And I think if we if we look at this through too narrow a scope, then we wind up in this place that James alluded to and that Adam asked about where it feels like we're just... The call here is to just be a doormat, to just be sort of passive with no purpose, right? That's how it can feel if we interpret this passage that way. But uh, as we'll see, we're going we're gonna to get into the rest of this passage through verse 48 next Sunday, where Jesus says these really difficult things about loving your enemies. Um, and I will talk about this dynamic a little bit more. If we had three hours, we could sort of do it all together. But this, di- this second part of, I think, our responsibility is it, it's not you don't exist in these moments just to die to yourself. You exist to die to yourself so that Jesus lives in your place, so that the kingdom is declared in your place. And so there are ways to respond that are not just doormat, but that are demonstrating this is not how the kingdom functions. This is how the world functions, but this is not how the kingdom functions and are declaring what is different about the kingdom. And two examples that, I, 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 that come to mind, um, and we talked about these a little bit in our comm group as well this week. Uh, one is, uh, and, and these are, some of these are sort of extreme examples um, which are helpful in a certain sense. They can be unhelpful in another sense, which I'll talk about later, but... Um, they can be helpful, I think, in giving us perspective when we look at these extreme examples of, of reminding us how much of our lives tend to be impacted by cultural circumstances or defined by, oh, I have to, some of what Michael talked about, I have to stay within this certain standard or it's going to get difficult or uncomfortable or sort of isolate me if I start living in some other more radical way that changes me from the norm. And, and these examples, I think give us some perspective on, well, maybe we're supposed to see things differently than the norm. The first is, the, is the, where this is like most evident to me, and I've talked about this in some ways before, but is in the, the civil rights movement and the example that we saw of nonviolent resistance for the sake of change in that movement. You had a group of people who were allowing themselves to be physically overpowered again and again and again because they actually believed that turning the other cheek in those moments took hold of for them and demonstrated to the world around them a deeper power than they could demonstrate by physically resisting. And this is where it goes from theory to real life. Can we actually believe what Jesus says happens? Can we actually believe that there's power in what feels to us like this sort of pointless passivity? And if you go back in the time, it's difficult. And that's one of the things that I think slows us down is because we don't have the perspective of looking back when we're facing these questions. We don't have the big picture. We don't have the sort of heroic... When I talk about the civil rights movement and, and show you something I'm about to show you, you have, a, you have this 50-year perspective, 60-year perspective on some of these images where you see the bigger picture. We don't always have that when we walk into it. But these people believed by faith that it was there, and they took hold of it. So when we see images like this of people who are doing nothing violent or nothing illegal, but were just demonstrating, marching down the street, 
and these would include women and children being blasted to the ground by men with fire hoses, or images like this of people who truly are only trying to sit at a lunch counter and eat and are having milkshakes and food dumped on their heads and are not responding with violence or with anger. And when we see a moment like this where you had a bunch of uh, uh, men and women who are marching in Selma and um, are doing nothing but walking down the road, and this moment turns into these moments where people are beaten and this woman in the bottom right has been beaten unconscious and is having to be carried off. When we see these kinds of images, there's no question to us now who has the moral authority in these moments. Is it the people who are exercising and winning physical with physical violence and power? Or is it the people who are resisting what is wrong through nonviolence? When you hear words or read words like this, these are words from Dr. King. More and more, I feel that the people of ill will have used time in much more effectively than have the people of goodwill. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. Now is the time to make real the promise of democracy and transform our pending national elegy into a creative psalm of brotherhood. Now is the time to lift our national policy from the quicksand of racial injustice to the solid rock of human dignity. I read you that, I show you those images because, and, and I read you this particular passage because he wrote these words while physically imprisoned. He had been not just physically overpowered, but locked up. And he wrote those words having lost that physical battle um, with the legal authorities. But as you read them, there's no doubt who has moral and spiritual authority in this moment. He didn't lose that because he allowed himself to be arrested again and again. He actually took hold of something. Um, another example that I mentioned uh, in Com Group this week is uh, that there was, in the early 1700s, there were two men uh, who were Moravians um, who wanted to minister to African slaves who'd been taken to the West Indies. And they were told they couldn't go to that part of the world and do that. And so they volunteered to be sold into slavery if that was the only way to go there. And ultimately, they weren't even allowed to do that exactly because they were white, and they would not allow white people to be sold into slavery. That's how the culture was functioning. But they did find a way that was very difficult for them. But when they volunteered to be sold into slavery and left home to go to the next place to try to make that happen, uh, they said, it was recorded that they said to the people, their families and their friends that they left, may the lamb that was slain received the reward of his suffering. That was, those were the words on their lips 
as they left, believing they might become slaves for the sake of ministering to slaves. Um, and I, I offer those examples because I think they help us reframe a little bit that our call is to come and die, but it is also to proclaim the kingdom. There's a purpose in this um, that uh, we can find. And so when we get a little too caught up, I think, in, in the absurdity of actually following through with the ideas that, that Jesus brings in these passages, I do think it's helpful to remember that if the kingdom is real, if we believe the kingdom is real, it's not absurd at all. Uh, that the difficult words of Jesus might compel us to surrender a lot more than seems reasonable to demonstrate that these things that we surrender don't ultimately hold power, that real power and real life are in the kingdom that enables us to find our lives when we lose them. So uh, just helpful, for me anyway, um, look into ways in which, it doesn't answer every question, even every question that's been asked, but ways in which uh, we can see, even in extreme cases, the letting go of these things that we're afraid, if we let go, we just become a doormat, actually uh, proclaiming the kingdom and demonstrating power. Other thoughts and questions? I snuck it. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I don't know. I, as I was just sitting here kind of thinking about all this, I was thinking, you know, it seems like the real struggle is just to kind of the wrenching away of our own power. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about, you know, money and, um, you know, I, I've lived without a lot of money and, you know, I do pretty well for myself nowadays. But, you know, I think ultimately what I have to remember in that is, it's not mine. I mean, I, uh, I essentially made it, I guess you could say, but uh, he could take it away tomorrow. So, I mean, if someone wants some money and I, if I have it, I mean, you know, I think his call is to say, that's not really your power, you know, go give it to someone else. And then I, it seems like also, <clears throat> even just in the realm of violence, um, you know, to, to take the stand and say, okay, I'm not going to re- rely on my power to stop this horrible thing that could happen. You know, while I may die, I'm hopefully demonstrating a, a higher, a bigger power that, you know, is going to be shown to the world. And um, this morning, uh, in morning church, we learned about Jehoshaphat coming out in front of like three different armies. <laughs> they wanted to, you know, wipe out the children of Israel. And uh, they were really scared. And Jehoshaphat, you know, sought the Lord. And the Lord said, just go on out there and stand. Don't do anything. And watch me deliver them into your hands, you know. And, uh, oh, and by the way, put the singers in the front and have them sing as you're, watching these armies come at you. And I feel like that's, that's like what, what we're supposed to be. <laughs> you know, that's what Jesus is telling us to be is, I want you to, I want you to stand there, you know, turn the other cheek, whatever, and, and sing back to them, you know. Show them that the power is not really the power of the fist or of your, of your money, but it's in, it's in me. And uh, anyway, that's kind of what I'm drawing from it.
on the idea of turning the other cheek, I heard a, another sermon this week that kind of painted that that a little differently, and I, I liked how it was expressed. And he said, you know, if you've if you've lived in a, some of the other cultures where you greet each other with a kiss, you know, they, they, people did that in Haiti, and it was it never quit being weird to me the whole time I was there. But but it's normal in so many places. And it's like that's what you as you approach someone, that's what you are giving your cheek for. Is this is for a kiss, is for a relationship, is for community, is for this connection. And you lean in and you get punched on one side. <clears throat> you don't stop leaning in. You continue to press for connection and for relationship and for hope and for unity. You give them the other cheek and you go at it again. And so that I like that idea of that that picture of turning the other cheek is not just, yeah, you know, I'm willing to be hit again, but I'm going to keep moving forward with this goal of, connecting with this goal of having a relationship with this goal of of doing good to this person who just hit me on one side and I'm going to come again with the other cheek. Um, I think something that's real important and this kind of goes back, I mean, what everyone's been talking about, but what you said about what's uh, what can be important in those moments is um, proclaiming the kingdom. And so I think uh, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, like, you know, due to the culture we live in, um, you know, even those scenes that you put up there, uh, I think maybe we have to get over, get around this idea that, 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 that's a, being a doormat, you know, um, you know, it's this kind of macho, you know, just idea of defending oneself or, um, your friends or family, like, we have to be comfortable with the fact that, you know, we just sat here as a church and sang about how silent as he stood accused, you know, um, and how even Jesus' friends were, you know, they didn't come in with fisticuffs, like, you know. So um, I think once we recognize, as you pointed out, that the um, how in those moments it's our um, turning of the cheek, uh, or giving over our cloak that uh, proclaims the kingdom, that act in and of itself is what makes your turning of the cheek or giving over your cloak or giving money to someone to ask you. That act in and of itself is what makes that not a, um, a weak moment, but a, a, as, um, as a, an a, a overpowering moment even. Um, also on the point just uh, of the like the borrowing, just to kind of like maybe take it, not to take it away from the violence thing, but just offer a uh, you know, separate point is like, I, we have um, one individual in particular that you know, probably comes to our house every you know, couple months. And um, in the past, there's been a couple others to the point where I've wondered, like, I wonder if they're like on some network of like, hey, go buy this address. He's good for, you know, <laughs> a couple dollars. But it's like I've even with this one particular individual, I've been like I've had discussions with others that are familiar with them and it's just a matter of like, I oh, know, don't don't give him any money. He's this is what he's doing with it. And you know, there was a point where it's like, you know, if he showed up, I'd look at my wallet and maybe I had like a 20 and a 10, but you know, I might give them the 10 and not let them know that a 20 or something. But like the story that you shared at the beginning with Scott, it's like what really struck and what really uh, stuck with me is that 
you know, if we're to think of the the cash in our wallet, if that currency, how can we equate that, you know, to a currency that God gives us? And what, what I thought about was his grace. And I thought to myself, how many times in a day or how many times in my life have I taken that currency of grace and went and bought a 40? When I went to the Lord pleading for grace for insert whatever I had just done or whatever I was thinking about doing. And then I received that grace and then I turn around and I waste it. And so I think, um, I, I, I mentioned that because, um, I was having a discussion along these lines with a friend the other week about, you know, it kind of saddens me. I've, I've, I've heard from throughout my life, I've usually heard this as an example of like why someone might not like give money to a homeless person. And it's because like they know of one homeless person that they've heard some story about who it's actually, you know, they're not homeless. They actually, you know, just that's their profession. They go out on the corner and, you know, you know, ask for cash or, um, and that's kind of like an, a reason that like, they just kind of stand firm. Like that's why I never give money or something to a homeless person that's standing on the corner. And, um, I just, um, you know, so I think if we're able to, like, maybe put ourselves in that person's um, shoes, even if they are wasting that money in the sense of what and how I just described about, like, how we waste God's grace in some ways, you know, um, uh, it kind of, like, brings that into, brings that clarity to it. And so. keep thinking of this verse, which um, fits in with the pictures that you put up there, but I just wanted to read it. Um, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. For by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And I think that this is possible because the spirit that we have gives us freedom to do that, that we don't have to worry about money, we don't have to worry about how tired we will be when we go all these miles, um, but that we we can live in the freedom of the love and grace like Buck, Buck was talking about, just that that allows us to be his servants in the kingdom. And I think it's just like walking in that kingdom. And um, <clears throat> I keep thinking of that picture with them in the water, but being able to stand there and do that because of the power that they have. Mm. I just was thinking about what uh, Michael shared. And um, at Con Group, we talked about that kind of comparison theology where when you think about money, you just kind of, in your periphery, if you have someone 
in your life that has more money than you and spends it you think more foolishly than you do, then you constantly compare and feel like, oh, well, I'm okay. At least we're not doing that. You know, I don't own a boat. I don't know if any of you own a boat. <laughs> um, but, and I, I don't think that's what, I, I'm not proud of that in myself. It's not that I like that about myself, but I think there is a beauty of living in that tension. And I know in my own life, when I'm not struggling with that question, I know that I'm callous and I miss opportunities that God has for me to be generous. And so even the fact that that question of how much money is enough, how much is too much, how much should I be sharing, just the fact that you're struggling with that, that is the spirit working in your family, giving you eyes to see um, chances God has for you to be generous in that way. And the other thing I want to share is the verse 42 about give to everyone who begs from you. Um, the Borchardings shared that they had thought about that verse in the context of their children and learning to say yes to their children. And so we had a good conversation about that. What does that mean to say yes as often as you can to your kids? And the very next day, less than 24 hours later, I pick up Joey from school and he had learned in social studies about kids in Africa who are orphans. And he says to me, I really think we need to get one of those kids, <laughs> a little boy or a little girl. It'd be really great. I'm like, oh my gosh. So the whole way home from school, all I'm thinking of is give to everyone who begs from you. And he is begging and begging. And there's like no way to explain to him all of the many reasons we cannot have any more children, one of which is like, you're really high maintenance, Joey. There's no way we could have another kid. Um, and even like he was begging for a puppy, he was like, I'll take care of the kid. I'll do homework with them. I'll play with them. Really, it won't be any trouble. And we pulled up to the driveway, and the trash cans were sitting at the end of the driveway, and there were three of them. And I said, can you take those up to the garage? And it would have taken him a couple of trips. No, no, I can't take them. Could you take two? No, I can't take that. Okay, can you take one trash can? And this is after he's saying, I'll take care of this baby. You won't have to do a thing. I was like, thank you, God, for that assurance that this is not a good idea for us. I just feel the need to speak to a different part of this. Um, when I was just barely 18, I was assaulted. And so when I see this passage, it, it, a lot of what I see, see in it is very different. Um, um, what I want to say about it is, you know, I see it and I see my dad's face at that time. Like when my dad found out, of course, he definitely wanted an eye for an eye and more than a tooth for a tooth. And... He was a policeman, and so he probably could have done that, and no one would have ever known. <laughs> um, but what I see in this passage is a call to me and to my dad and to my family and to everyone who's ever loved me since then um, to, to go beyond that retaliation and to look for something different and to offer something different to our enemies, which is what this passage is speaking to. And in fact, the very next paragraph is love your enemies. I don't think that's a coincidence. So I just wanted to share that. I think even more than our money, sometimes our own selves and giving up um, the right to retaliate. Now, 
I pressed charges and we went to court and that wasn't a wrong thing to do, but would have would have been unhelpful and unloving, I think, was to physically retaliate, retaliate or torture or to hate for the rest of my life. And um, I think that it was right and loving to hold somebody responsible so they don't hurt someone else. And I just felt like we need to be really clear that we understand that difference. As we read this passage, it doesn't mean that we're rolling over to violence in any way or to anything that's oppressive. We're standing up against the impression in the way that Jesus would, in the most loving, kind, um, beautiful, compassionate way that we could never do in and of ourselves. So a lot of my ideas on uh, my thoughts on these kinds of passages have been shaped by that. <laughs> for the last 17 years. Um, and I absolutely agree with, with what Amy said. Um, the point here, and it's, it's easy to get caught in these hypotheticals that make us feel like, well, if we do this in this circumstance, we're just a doormat. The point here is not no resistance. <laughs> uh, the point is not, it is we don't resist Instead of the resistance that you're used to, which is an eye for an eye, there's another way. And it, that way is ultimately bringing an end to violence and oppression. And so there will be moments, nonviolent resistance, allowing the, the, the legal authorities who Jesus affirms at, at various points and the scriptures affirm at various points have a role still in society for the management of evil, allowing those things to take place, um, but there's still a challenge here for us to consider what we're doing. As we talked about um, with, with the turning the other cheek passage, it doesn't mean you keep going to the person and saying, would you like to hit me today? <laughs> Necessarily. Um, there's more to this than that. Um, so. We're, we're out of time, and I just want to say a couple of things quickly before, before we go. Um, I think there are, for most of us, there are sort of two layers of dealing with this particular passage and with passages like this. One of those layers is um, getting past the ways that we just are culturally conditioned. And that's, that's a struggle for all of us. Michael articulated it well. And as it relates to money, it's absolutely there with money and things. It's also there with violence and force and power and all of those kinds of dynamics. So the first layer, I think, for any of us in dealing with this is allowing ourselves to really be examined by the Spirit and saying which parts of my resistance to these, these kinds of words are because I have become comfortable with a way of living or a way of thinking that if I take that way of living and that way of thinking as a sort of standard that I'm going to shape my life around and then try to translate it back into the life of Jesus and the early church, will it fit? Or will, would they know nothing of that? <laughs> would it sound crazy to Jesus in the early church to say, well, we can't do this because it would cost us this? Or... So I think that's the first layer, and I think we all have to do that, and it's a difficult struggle. But I, 
I know most of you, and I think most of us are sincerely on that journey. And then the second layer is working through these difficult questions like, what does it mean in this circumstance, which is a difficult circumstance? Um, what I want to say about that, and then we're done, is that I, I do think getting too bogged down in the hypotheticals uh, that are not irrelevant but don't really represent the substance of our day-to-day -day lives. And what I mean by that is it is possible that these hypotheticals could come true for you. It's probably not happening for you today. And so what might Jesus have to say through these words to you today? He probably isn't asking you today to get mowed down by a fire hose or go to jail today or tomorrow. But he is asking you to have your default in this area defined by him and by the kingdom, and not by the culture or your instinct for physical safety or self-preservation. He's probably not asking you to give away literally every possession that you have to people asking for money today, but he is asking you to have your default in this area defined by him and by the kingdom and not by the culture or your instinct for protecting money and possessions that you have at the moment. And, and what I've come to conclude about this stuff is that um, if we're transformed where we really live, if we can move these conversations out of the hypothetical into our real space and allow Jesus to transform us right there with these kinds of words, then when those really difficult circumstances come along, we won't have to stop and have a, a, a sort of theological, philosophical debate about what it means to follow Jesus in that moment because we'll be well down the road of having our character transformed by Jesus already and walking with the Spirit as our guide moment to moment. So don't get frozen. This is a real struggle. This is one of my biggest struggles spiritually and in life in general. But don't get so frozen by the end game that you forget that following Jesus usually happens one step, one moment at a time. It's not an exercise in sitting still until we figure out exactly how to hash this out in every possible scenario, or we figure out how to get to the perfect end of obedience. It's most often an exercise of sl in slow, deep faithfulness, starting right where we are. So that's my encouragement to you with these difficult words. I think it's great to have the more difficult conversations. There's some really great books to read on these questions about what would you do in these kinds of circumstances? What do we do about defending our families if violence is what's required for that? What do we do when we know someone's being taken advantage of? How do we protect that person and be in line with the words of Jesus? That's all really helpful conversation, important conversation. And if that's where you are and what you're struggling with, there's great stuff to read and great conversations to have about that. And my encouragement is remember that this is about transformation where you are. And that doesn't mean just small, tiny changes. It absolutely means real transformation. But the big move for us, and these, these words tend to make us feel like I'm supposed to make some huge shift in my life. The big move for us isn't primarily about deciding whether or not Jesus wants you to die instead of protecting your family from a violent intruder or whether he wants you to empty your bank account if someone comes up to you and says, please give me all this money that you have. The big move for us is truly surrendering to these words that he says, if you want to be my follower, believe that giving your life away and receiving mine in return 
is what you're made for. That's where real life is found. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for your words that challenge and sting and confuse and for the ways that those uh, questions and conversations drive us into real life, into real fellowship, into real community with you and with one another. And so my prayer, I believe with all my heart that you don't say these things to us to make us despondent or feel like it's too hard or to confuse us but to invite us into a life that is better. And you've given us the spirit and you've given us the scriptures and you've given us the church, our brothers and sisters. So may we lean in to those things and lean into you, believing that you will transform us if we avail ourselves to you, if we say, yes, I will come and die and I will receive by the resurrection of Jesus, the life of Jesus in place of the life that I had. So may we be those people, may we walk that road, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.